0: Australia Explained, keeping you on top of all things down under. In this episode of Australia Explained, we talk about the intersection between cricket and politics, particularly how it has and will continue to shape the Aussie identity. Hello everyone, my name is Tanya Ragusa, And I'm Vanessa Di Grazia. And welcome back to another episode of Australia Explained. We'd like to start, as always, by acknowledging that we're recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people, of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. So, (laughs) (laughs) we're
1: doing something a little bit different today. Quite different. Quite different. (laughs) Um, Every now and then we try to push ourselves out of our comfort zone and do something a little bit off course. So, when we were planning for today's episode, we had a light bulb moment. Sport, ding! We never talk about sport. Yes. And it's a pretty important part of Aussie culture, would you not say?
0: Yes, and in a true Australia Explained fashion, we were interested in looking how sport has become so heavily ingrained within the Australian way of life. So we're talking about sport, but in our own political way. (laughs) And adding to this, I recently watched The Test, which is an Amazon Prime documentary series about our Australian cricket team in the year following the big South African ball tampering scandal, which we'll discuss later. But this documentary was all about how our national identity was tested during this time. So I think it was an interesting thing to bring up and something we should probably discuss. Yeah,
1: see, I hear cricket documentary and I turn off, but we're <laughs> going to take this episode <laughs> so we can
0: learn about how it's interesting to all kinds of people. I think most people in Australia, if there's going to be one sport that they don't watch, it's probably cricket. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got to around it it's not as bad as it seems you just you just have to learn about it get involved in the culture and you'll be fine so hopefully we'll have a few cricket fans after this episode
1: hopefully i'm one of them
0: (laughs) um and more recently in terms of cricket there was the whole indian flight ban thing
1: so um due to the overwhelming covid crisis that meant that many australians including a few of our national cricketers that were playing in the indian league were trapped overseas once Um, Indian travellers were banned from coming into Australia and it's not really an unusual move I discovered for Australian players to be largely based in India because I mean cricket is so popular there that it often results in these huge international player deals you know millionaire dollar sponsorships a big fan base it makes sense for them to be there
0: yeah but I don't think any of our cricketers could have expected to be banned from returning to Australia and they were once posed with criminal sanctions if they did Try and find a loophole back into the country. They that have, a re- lot. yeah, they have returned now. They detoured via Maldives, the Maldives. Um, but the Indian fight flight ban has raised many concerns and has most recently faced criticism from cricket great Michael Slater, who was trapped in India himself. And he had this massive announcement calling upon Scott Morrison to come over to India and quote, see the dead bodies on the street, emphasising the, the very dire and dangerous situations that those Aussie cricketers found themselves in. And just to mention today, um, on the news, an
1: Australian died in India of COVID, which is really, really upsetting. Unfortunate, yeah. just yeah, just ties into what we're talking
0: about. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Um, What we're talking about now is definitely not the first time that cricket's intersected with politics, and it sparked an idea that we could explore the ways in which cricket has often been an avenue for many external crises to play themselves out.
0: Yeah, and as much as we as a nation may identify with the likes of AFL or even rugby. I think cricket often places Australia within the global political field and has become intertwined with major historical events throughout the decade. So we may as well venture into sport and explore this very fascinating relationship. I wonder if there's non-Victorian people that are thinking, AFL's not a national
1: sport, it's rugby. We're <laughs> from Melbourne. Very Melbourne, so <laughs> <laughs> So let's start with the history, Miss History Buff. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) What are the origins of cricket within Australia? So the most important thing to point out straight off the bat, (laughs) (laughs) pun very much so intended, is that cricket is inherently linked with colonialism. All the dominant cricketing countries, so Australia, New Zealand, Pakistan, India, South Africa, even the West Indies, which is a collection of Caribbean countries, which are now all separate countries, but they're still classified as the West Indies. Interesting. They were all once, and some still are, British colonies. And it is easy to think of imperialism and controlling other countries as a purely political and economic move. You know, so countries can gain resources and gain power and money. But the expansion of cricket into the colonies highlights the power of social imperialism and replacing remnants of the native culture with the British way of life.
1: Yeah, and in a modern context, this often happens with the Americanization of things. So here we're talking about the British um, social culture moving into the countries they took over. Yeah. Um, yeah, just to put it in a bit of context, now we have the Americanization of cultures around the world with American movies and products and things like that. So. Yeah what we're talking about cricket is an example of how a dominant culture can kind of feed in to the cultures they're taking over and become part of their culture. Yeah.
0: Like a simulation, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: So cricket back to cricket. Um, it was often introduced by British colonists in its overseas territories as a form of nostalgia and a representation of home. So it was establishing this idea of Englishness in the foreign lands. And as sport was increasingly adopted by the colonised, it grew to symbolise the ideal gentleman, which was, let's not be serious here, but back then restrained, controlled, and most importantly, white.
0: Yeah, you often hear cricket described as the gentleman's game, because it is quite fair, it's quite, uh, not as dramatic or, uh, physical as other sports, so I I do think it does represent that sort of very controlled, gentleman like behaviour. Within Australia, cricket was the first team game to be exported from Britain and was played between colonies, remembering that this was before Federation when each state was once its own British entity. British teams became travelling to Australia to tour the country from the 1860s onwards, But in my research, I found that the most fascinating cricket tour of all came in 1868 when the first all Aboriginal cricket team travelled to Britain and played 47 matches there from May to October.
1: The Aboriginal tour intrigued many British people, particularly as this tour came shortly after Charles Darwin's publication of his book called The Origin of Species. So in this book, Darwin discusses the really complex ideas of evolution and natural selection, which, I mean, we're not going to try and break it down in this tiny episode, but to In the relevance of this episode, he did examine how the human species gradually evolved to become adapted to new environments. And the British looked at the Aboriginal Australia team as an example of exactly what Darwin was trying to prove. So this was a species of human so different to what the British were themselves, a species that, in a
0: way, was succeeded by the white race. Yeah. And for this reason, the British audiences viewed the Aboriginal team as exotic figures, in quotes. They got them to perform skills with their boomerangs and spears between matches. It very much so was a performance in a way. And even a correspondent of Charles Darwin himself came to examine the team and took a wide range of evidence away to later add to the study of evolution. So it's quite, I guess, gruesome to think of them as test subjects in a way. Yeah, that's really messed
1: up. Mm. Um Yet the Aboriginal Australian team was also praised for their performances on the field. So a British newspaper at the time called The Sporting Life reported that the team's prowess as cricketers and applauded their physical abilities. Um, In the same report, though, the team is also praised for not being savages. Instead, they were described as perfectly civilised, having been brought up in the bush to agricultural pursuits. Yeah, let's (laughs) break that down. (laughs) Yeah, and
0: as positive as as that statement may sound on the surface, it actually really highlights the racial prejudice of the time, especially that comparison between the civilised British man and the uncivilised native individual, Indigenous savage, in quotes. As well, that statement completely justified colonialism as a good thing, turning these, quote, uncivilised savages into more tolerable people and allowing them to progress in life due to the efforts of the British people, you know, to get them to work and to assimilate into the white culture. And can I add, I think
1: a lot of Australians kind of covertly still hold that belief. Like you hear that sometimes um, when arguing about Indigenous issues, like um, people saying, oh, but if the British never came, there would be nothing here. Yeah, Um, And obviously we've talked about this many times before in a couple of our episodes, but this idea of uncivilised savages being allowed to progress through colonialism is not like a rogue idea that doesn't exist today.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely is still brought up in the argument as to why... British invasion was a good thing it allowed them to progress and to grow and you know but that's very much so based on a western society we have to remember for
1: sure and if you want to know more about that listen to what are our episodes called about aboriginal so many invading
0: australia The Tasmanian Genocide. We've got a few episodes. There's a lot. Just go through them. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But despite all this, the Aboriginal Australian team was still subjected to discrimination. No matter how civilised they may have seemed, they were still banned from eating in the lunch tents at the British cricket ovals. And... Uh, A British newspaper called the Times also labelled the tour as a travesty upon cricket for letting these natives of a convict colony come to Britain and sort of infect their land. Um, So the Aboriginal cricket tour of Britain emphasised this complex relationship between sport, race and empire, but also the dangers of using a native culture as a form of entertainment Because clearly the audience of British people still considered the Aboriginal cricket team as unequal to themselves, so it was very much so an imbalance in power here.
1: So, moving on, how has cricket intertwined with political crises
0: over time? Do we have some examples? Yes, we're going to discuss two major events here that came at very different times during world politics. Uh, so, firstly, we're going to look at something called the Bodyline Scandal in the 1932-33 Ashes Series. So, for those who struggle with understanding cricket, the Ashes Series is probably one of the most iconic competitions in sport. You don't need to know what the Ashes... You don't need to watch I've the Ashes it. <laughs> to know what it is. Um, and it is played between the English and Australian cricket teams. It first began in 1882 and it's played every two years and each Ashes series alternates between being played in England during their summer between June and August and then the next time the Ashes is played, it is played on Australian soil during our summer, so December to round about December and January. And as we discovered in our research, well I discovered, you already (laughs)
1: knew this, the Ashes consists of five test matches and each test match is five days long. And the teams play on a different oval each test match. So the Ashes ovals in both England and Australia are quite famous for their cricketing history. And the order of the ovals in which the tests are played is a long tradition of the Ashes series. For example, when the Ashes are played in Australia, the first test is always played in Brisbane, then Adelaide, Perth, Melbourne,
0: and lastly Sydney. It's a tradition. Yeah. Just like the whole sport of cricket it's very much so embedded in British tradition. But the scandal we're discussing falls during the Ashes series of 1932 to 33, when England travelled over to Australia. And the timing of this particular Ashes series within within history cannot be understated. Especially following World War One, we need to remember that Australia joined World War One as an act of support for the British Empire, and we were drawn into the war, into a war that we essentially could have avoided, but we went due to our loyalties to to the Empire. But after World War One, Australia was left in quite a dire financial state because of all our military spending. We were quite a young country as well, so we didn't have as, I guess, large of a bank to draw from. Um, and we were essentially suffering for the sake of another country.
1: And if you want to hear more about world Australia in World War One, our episode, The Anzac Legend from a couple of weeks ago, goes into a bit more detail. Um Back to cricket. So at this point in time, Australia was largely built on its agricultural production. So things like wool and wheat. So many returned soldiers from World War One decided to base themselves in rural Australia and work on farms, you know, to earn a living. Yeah. However, many other countries around the world started to do the exact same thing. And this led to an oversupply of wheat and wool.
0: Yeah, and basic e- economics here. When you have too much of one thing, the prices for that thing fall. So this meant that Australia's national income started to drop as our two main exports, which were wheat and wool, were no longer in such high demand. So to support us during this time, the Australian government started borrowing large amounts of money from London to stay afloat, but this dried up as the world slumped into the Great Depression. So when the Wall Street crash of 1929 hit Australia entered the 1930s with mass unemployment, piles of debt and a lack of national income. Mm, Got to love those economic
1: cycles <laughs> 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 um, Our British heads of state recommended that the Australian government introduce a series of austerity measures so this basically means that you minimize public spending so you cut wages, jack up taxes a bit a little bit in order to save a bit of money. So, it's fair to assume that upon entering the 1930s, the relationship between England and Australia was pretty tense, because at the end of the day, our financial situation was somewhat caused by the British, and we were a little bit resentful.
0: Yeah, a little bit, and our former treasurer, Wayne Swan, who, you know, used to look after our national finances... Wrote an article in 2013 on the 80th anniversary of the Bodyline Ashes series explaining just how fractured our relationship with England was at this point. Um, Wayne Swan argues that Australians were angered about suffering from a depression that they themselves did not cause, and you know, fair enough. But more so, Australia did not have the economic freedom to control its own policies during this period of financial hardship. Instead, most of our depression policy was determined by the British government as our heads of state. And this created a sense of resentment, like you said, for those people overseas who did not really understand the situation in Australia at the time. We had other people making decisions for us and they were it was affecting our country quite drastically. So if anything, Swan says that Australia would have been better off as a republic during the 1930s where they could have controlled their own monetary policy.
1: And we talk about this in the Anzac Legend episode about how this was a time when Australians were starting to identify as Australian rather than British as well. Yeah. So all of these things coming together is just harboring the resentment. Yeah.
0: We had only federated as a country in 1901. So we were quite young and we were starting to develop our own individual identity.
1: Mm, For sure.
0: Mm. Um, So you might be wondering, how does
1: this tie in with the cricket? (laughs) This we're is, getting there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the 1932 Ashes and the tensions, there was already tensions that existed between England and Australia, like we said, but they worsened due to the bowling tactics of the English cricket team. So they decided to adopt this thing called the bodyline tactic. So they were purposefully bowling to the batter's body, trying to defeat some of Australia's greatest batsmen, including world great Don Bradman. So tension spilled onto the cricket field as Australians bat- Australian batters were purposely being hit in the chest, the face, and it caused great rage between the countries. You can imagine if it was on the TV today, people playing sport and countries that already have tensions are throwing balls at each yeah. other. It would be a big thing.
0: Yeah, purposely trying to hurt the other team as well. Um, So because of this, diplomatic cables were sent back and forth between the two countries and the English team threatened to not play the remaining matches of the series because Australia kept calling their bowling unsportsmanlike. You know, it went against the fair play of cricket. Um, Even our Prime Minister at the time had to get involved because he feared that this scandal and the tensions on the field would impact our trade with Britain at the time. Sport and politics definitely intersecting it's, it's intersecting, I'm telling <laughs> you. <laughs> and it also had an impact
1: in Britain's other colony states. So newspapers in China and Hong Kong ran stories that denounced Australia's reaction to the English bowling tactics, and several business deals between Asia and Australia were said to be severed due to the saga. So during the next Ashes series in 1934... A statue of Prince Albert in Sydney was vandalised. With an ear being knocked off and the word body line painted on it. Yeah, I feel it. like people never change. <laughs> like these, the headlines are still the same. Statue vandalised. Statue vandalised.
0: <laughs> like, talk about holding a grudge here. Um, it's such a grudge that it is believed that the strain in our relationship with the British lasted until the outbreak of World War II in 1939 when both countries had to, you know, become allies again. And many historians note that the bodyline scandal was a lesson in imperial su- superiority, sorry, as the British were attempting to show the Australians exactly who was in power here. I guess, as much as the Australians wanted that economic freedom, the, Br- the British were still, I guess, pressing down on them and saying, no, no, we- we've still got you. We're still controlling you a little bit. <laughs> they sure did.
1: Um, so, that was event number one that we wanted to talk about. Later on in world politics during the 70s, much of the sporting world, including the cricket community, would protest against South Africa's racial discrimination policy, also known as apartheid, which
0: if you don't know about apartheid, we would suggest that you look it up
1: because it's Very interesting to know. Yeah,
0: if you're familiar with the likes of Nelson Mandela, very closely linked to that. Mm -hmm, For sure. We won't cover it because we're Australia Explained, but (laughs) look it up. So, in
1: 1971, the United Nations declared the International Year for Action to Combat Racism and Racial Discrimination. That is a mouthful. (laughs) And Australia's Prime Minister at the time, William McMahon, heavily supported this, claiming that segregation was not acceptable to the Australian way of life, which... I mean, agreed, but also quite ironic <laughs> yeah, when you consider the First Nations people that were living on Australian soil and completely segregated
0: from mainstream Australian life. But yep. <laughs> moving on, we move on. Um, <laughs> so when the South Australian cricket team was scheduled to tour Australia in 1971, it was cancelled And cricket great Don Bradman, who was also the chair of the Australian Cricket Board, stated that Australia would not host a South African cricket team until their players were chosen on a non-racial basis. So it was fair, it was equal, and it was purely based on ability. And I guess this is an example of using sport as a tool for political protest. And I think it appeals directly to Australian values and what we as a country identify ourselves by, you know, what we stand up for and what we don't.
1: Yeah, and using sport as a tool for political protest still happens today. I remember during
0: BLM, um, a bunch of American basketball teams refused to play. Yeah, kneeling during Um, the National Anthem. It is an avenue for a lot of these, I guess, discussions to be held. Okay, so bringing it to the present day, what role does cricket play in our national identity today? Well, we'll start on the note of South Africa while we're there. Um... I think
1: it's important to note how significant the recent South African ball tampering scandal was in placing into question our national morals, belief, identity, all that jazz. So for those who need a refresher, in March 2018, the Aussie cricket team was playing a series in South Africa when Cameron Bancroft, who is an Australian player, was caught using sandpaper to tamper with the cricket ball. This is illegal in the sport, as any tampering to the ball using an abrasive object can change the way the ball swings, flies, bounces towards the batter, and it offers an unfair advantage to the bowling side. It was plastered
0: all over the media, yeah. so most of you would remember. You can't forget it, especially if of modern times. And team captain Steve Smith, who is also compared to Don Bradman at the time, so it's, it's interesting to see these two figures interact throughout history, um, admitted to knowing of the plan and also Vice Captain David Warner was said to be, um, I guess, the one who skinned the whole planet and brought it together. So all three players faced enormous consequences. Smith and Warner were sanctioned with a 12-month ban from the sport and Bancroft was served nine months.
1: Yeah, it was really a remarkable week um, in sport and in the media because we saw press conferences of these three men breaking down into tears, you know, apologizing to their families for being a disappointment, mm. and a lot of people were questioning the integrity of the Australian cricket team. Um, the coach of the side, Daryl Lehman, also resigned despite having no alleged involvement in the plan. This really affected
0: all Aussies and the way that we Mm -hmm. see ourselves as a country yeah and you can see that in the national and global response to the scandal it was just as big as the scandal itself um even our prime minister Malcolm Turnbull decided to weigh in calling it a shocking disappointment and he even contacted the boss of Cricket Australia himself David Peaver to ensure that the most serious sanctions were handed out And because of it, Cricket Australia lost a lot of sponsors, such as the Magellan Financial Group and LG Electronics. But as well, the players lost individual sponsors. So that's millions of dollars of deals that were lost there. Mm.
1: And I think for me, as someone that's not necessarily interested in cricket, what resonated with me throughout the scandal was the amount of attention that it received Mm -hmm. by the Australian media. Um, And everybody, like, doesn't matter how interested or not interested they are in cricket, weighed in on what this meant for our nation. You know, we had articles written about how we should spare these men as they're only human. But on the other end of the spectrum, we had articles about how poorly this reflected upon our love for sport and the types of role models we were heralding to our children. So it got very intense.
0: Yeah, I remember at the time I was doing a teaching placement at a school and their whole year 11 English unit was analysing articles that were written about the ball tampering scandal. It was just plastered everywhere because there was such a plethora of articles to choose from. Um, And like I said, that documentary on Amazon Prime that I was watching called The Test follows the rebuild of the Australian cricket team after the ball tampering scandal. So it starts in South Africa and it really looks at the struggles that the side faced um, in order to gain I guess international support again because their reputa- reputation was so tarnished, and the difficult road back to being one of the best cricket teams in the world again. And now it's time for our recommendations. So, Vanessa, what have you got for me and our listeners today? So I've got a
1: quick three-minute video from the ABC about the ball tampering scandal that we just talked about. It explains why it was wrong, you know, what the public response was, how it impacted the perception of the Australian cricket team. So it's just a bit of an extension of what we've talked about and sums it up in a good way.
0: Yeah, and a bit of a visual too. Um, My recommendation is an article by Waleed Ali. We all know him from The Project. And it was written after the ball tampering scandal as well, but it focuses on how Australia formed its identity within sport before we even federated and before we even had any sort of foreign policy. He says that sport was our foreign policy and it was the way we interacted with other countries around the world. So that's why it was so important to us and that's why this scandal shocked us to our very core, I guess. Mm -hmm. Very interesting recommendations. We'll leave them in our show notes for you to check out and that's it from us today thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed this different episode appealing to our sports fans out there let us know what you think we're always interested to hear your thoughts if you don't follow slash
1: subscribe slash whatever your podcast streamer requires that you do (laughs) do it right now (laughs) come on click it <laughs> um feel free to leave a review as well um if you don't already follow us on instagram it's at australia explained pod and we post heaps of short sweet and simple aussie content to help you easily digest what's going on in the world or in australia um all the info from today's episodes in the show notes for you to check out as always
0: and that's it yeah we will see you in two weeks time bye, bye everyone